0: The state of Wisconsin is on quarterback watch, and it might not be the quarterback that you're thinking. We'll mix the NFL, some college basketball, the bucks you name it. We're covering it all. It's the 1st of February, and we're back. It's the 414 Sports Podcast. Let's go. Oh! But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in. This is the 414 Sports Podcast. I'm Don Wachillas. Thank you so much for logging in and joining us, whether you've done so on Apple, Spotify, Google, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. Glad to have you on board. We had a little bit of a hiatus. Eh, Life happens. We'll leave it at that. But good to be back on this 1st of February as we start now the anticipation towards Super Bowl 56. We've also got some unbelievable college basketball happening in our state. We're in the midst of a quarterback watch, and it has nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers. We'll talk about that. We'll throw in some bucks. We're going to get to it all as we kick off, as we noted, this 1st of February. Before we get started, I want to thank the uh, guys, shall I say, who uh, host The Bart Winkler After Show. Uh, Tony down in Texas. Got a chance to talk with him and LaCroix and Wolfpack and all of the guys that happened to be a part of that on Twitter last night. It was good talking to you guys. Great, uh, Great conversation that was being had about the world of sport. And I thank you for including me in it. All right, let's get to some things that have been happening in the world of sport, obviously, especially with the NFL. And before we get into the conference championships, can we just sit back and kind of soak in what the last two weeks have been as far as playoff football goes? When we think about the divisional rounds, and yes, I know we're not necessarily over the fact that the Packers lost to the 49ers and what a kick in the tail that was, but just the games in the last two weeks. And after what took place last week and and the games and how exciting they were, you thought "Ah, maybe the football gods are going to kind of right the ship and we're going to see some blowouts in these conference championships. And that's not what we got. What we got from the AFC, from the NFC, were some very, very close games I think, and I don't have it in front of me, I think if you combined the difference in scores of the divisional and the conference championships yesterday, it's somewhere like 24 points, which is just astounding. It gives you an idea of how close these games have been. So looking back on the games on Sunday, let's start with that Rams 49ers game where the 49ers, they had it in their grasp. They had it right there. And and I say that, no pun intended, because obviously in that fourth quarter, the dropped interception could have sent the Rams home. And it's been amazing to me how you can look at almost singular plays throughout not only the conference championship but the divisional championship that have altered the outcomes when you have teams at the level and caliber that you find in the NFL playoffs. When you think back, obviously, with the Packers, we know of the special team blunders. And whether we're talking about the block field goal or the block punt, you've got two examples there. But even if you erase one of them, you think the Packers still had an opportunity to win that game. When you think about the Buffalo-Kansas City Chief game back in the divisional playoff round and how chaotic that was from a scoring standpoint in, what, the, the last minute 57 or whatever it was, and if you think if Buffalo just squib kicks or puts the ball in play to run some clock down and not allow Kansas City to march down the field and do what they did, which got them into the conference championship game. Oh, my goodness. In a a few minutes, we'll talk about the Pat Mahomes to Tyreek Hill play right before half, which seemingly turned the tide in favor of the Cincinnati Bengals. And then, as I noted, you had the potential interception by the San Francisco 49ers in the fourth quarter that, if it would have been made, could have sent the Rams home and the 49ers to the Super Bowl. It, again, just amazing how one play seemingly had such significance to the final outcomes of these games. So in that 49er-Los Angeles-Ram game, I almost said Laker game, a Los Angeles-Ram game, Here, here's a 49er team, that was up ten going into the fourth quarter and could in essence not hang on. Now, listen, I'm not a Jimmy Garoppolo fan. And and, and I don't I don't mean that I'm a hater either. I, I I am ambivalent when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo. But I'm amazed at how much flack he has taken today from national pundits being the sole reason why the 49ers did not make it into the Super Bowl he didn't make enough plays he didn't do this he didn't do that did anybody notice that number one here's a quarterback who played the entire season knowing that his predecessor is standing on the sideline and handled it a hundred times differently than what we saw here in the state of Wisconsin especially in Green Bay Jimmy Garoppolo never seemingly said a word. He just went out and performed, did his job, did his job and got his team to the conference championship, got his team to the conference championship with a thumb that has a torn ligament on his throwing hand and is being held together. I mean, I granted, athletic trainers are taping him up, but it looks almost like he's got electrical tape keeping his hand in position so at least he can attempt to throw football. And yet, we still hear the pundits say that that Jimmy Garoppolo, yes, there's only two teams that have lost having 10-point leads going into the fourth quarter in NFL playoff games, and Jimmy Garoppolo has been the quarterback of both. I get it. I get it. But no one said anything about Jimmy Garoppolo when at the end of the regular season... The 49ers were down 17 to the aforementioned Los Angeles Rams, and he brought them back in the second half, and they needed that win just to get into the playoffs. Or when I hear people like Colin Cowherd talk about what a magnificent quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo is when the pressure is on, when he doesn't have to think. I think that's the quote Colin loves to use. When he doesn't have to think, when he just reacts, when he can just play with some speed, The decision-making is so much better than in the first, second, and third quarters when he's sitting back in the pocket trying to figure life out. And all of a sudden, everybody flipped on Garoppolo yesterday. There were a lot of issues with the 49ers. Some of it was play calling, obviously the dropped interception defensively, some of the coverages, you name it. Does Jimmy Garoppolo deserve some credit for that loss in the way that he played in that fourth quarter? Yes. Does he deserve as much? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, you go go back a week plus now because today is Tuesday, but you go back a week plus and you watch Patrick Mahomes against Buffalo and you watch those two quarterbacks go back and forth and back and forth, There's something to be said about quarterbacks getting the notoriety they deserve in games like that. But in a game like we saw on Sunday, I'm not so sure. So, again, the Los Angeles Rams win by three, 20-17, in a 13-point comeback, essentially, that they put on the board in that fourth quarter to get the win, and they'll be at home. It's ironic that we had never seen – the host Super Bowl city have its home team in the Super Bowl until last year with Tampa, and now we end up getting it two years in a row here with the Los Angeles Rams. The Los Angeles Rams need this Super Bowl more than anything. The Los Angeles Rams have absolutely mortgaged the future for the game that comes in now less than two weeks. They have absolutely mortgaged their future. And if they don't get a Super Bowl victory after what they did from a management side, this Los Angeles Ram team could be in some serious trouble for a bit of time in, like I said, the way they mortgage things away. So let's jump to the other side of the coin, and that was the Cincinnati Bengals beating the Kansas City Chiefs in overtime 27-24. to And what's the storyline here? Evan McPherson, the kicker. This kid is unbelievable. Now think back, Packer fans. When the Packers played the Bengals earlier this year, and Evan McPherson and Mason Crosby could not figure out how to put the ball between the uprights. Between the two of them, what was it, five, six, seven field goals missed, whatever the total was at the end of that game? And after that, Evan McPherson has become the heart and soul of the Cincinnati Bengals team. Obviously, Joe Burrow's got a lot to do with it. Obviously, Chase at the receiver spot has a lot to do with it. But when your kicker is 12 for 12 in the playoffs, he's 22 years old. Like, he's he's too young to even be frightened right now. Like, he should he should be sitting someplace on a Friday night with his college buddies, having a few, reminiscing about what they did on Thursday night. And instead, he's just got ice through his veins and kicking it through the uprights consistently. He's the fourth leading scorer, if I read this correctly, in NFL playoff history to this point, and they still have the Super Bowl to go. He's got 40-some points now in the playoffs, with his consistency as far as kicking field goals. So talk about an underdog. The Cincinnati Bengals will take on the Los Angeles Rams Super Bowl 56 to be played at SoFi Stadium out there in L.A. And we will say this. As the week and weeks move closer to the Super Bowl, we'll start breaking things down and analyzing it. But right now, as I said before, you just need to sit back and enjoy and revel in what was divisional playoff football and conference championship playoff football because the NFL, for us as fans, definitely delivered. Before we get to a break, though, I did want to talk about that last play right before half with the Chiefs and the aforementioned Bengals. It was one of those that I think changed everything with regards to the Kansas City Chiefs. They had driven the ball down. They were inside the 10, if not inside the 5, with five seconds to go. And they elected to take a shot at it. Now, had they taken a shot to the end zone... You still may have had a second or two with a dead ball and the ability to get your field goal unit out and kick a field goal before, obviously, the clock ticks to halftime. And you go in, even with not only a bigger point advantage, a bigger discrepancy in the score, but you go in with that motivation, that momentum of what just took place on the field. Instead, Patrick Mahomes throws it in the flat to Tyreek Hill and threw it a little bit behind, threw it to him at about the two-yard line, I think, obviously believing that Tyreek Hill would find his way into the end zone, and the Bengals got the stop. And the Bengals going into halftime, when you listen to the halftime reporters from CBS, felt right there, that they had gained the momentum. They got the stop. They went into halftime with something good just occurring before the break comes and before you get ready to start the second half. Kansas City had no timeouts. Patrick Mahomes trying to hit Tyreek Hill in the flat was getting greedy. He was getting greedy. This is a team... That was leading twenty-one to ten at half, and at one point in the game was up twenty-one to three, and it could have been twenty-eight to ten at half. It could have been twenty-four to ten at half, but the Bengals get the stop, go in to halftime now only trailing by eleven, and I know analytics plays a huge part in sport. And it has a place. But sometimes I believe analytics overrides the smarts of a coach, a quarterback, a coordinator who have played the game over and over and over again, who have years of experience, who, who understand that the game is more than analytics, that the game has an ebb and a flow and a feel. And when you completely put your hat in the analytic realm, You sometimes you get kicked and you get kicked hard. And to me, that's what happened with the Kansas City Chiefs in trying to, as I like to say, get greedy. So, all right, enough with that. We've got to move forward because we've got some quarterback news here in the state of Wisconsin, and it has nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers, even though we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers in a little bit. But more importantly, we're on Caleb Williams' watch, and we're going to explain in just a moment. Welcome back in, 414 Sports Podcast, as we are on quarterback watch, but this time it's at the college level, and it's with Caleb Williams, who's in the transfer portal. Caleb, who was a five-star, oh, marquee-type athlete coming out of high school that ended up at Oklahoma with the Sooners, who played this year after kind of moving Spencer Rattler to the bench, who was a marquee quarterback in and of himself, but who was struggling. So Caleb Williams gets thrown into the mix, so to speak, wins a bunch of games. They come up short uh, when we're talking about the Big 12 championship. And in doing so, what did we find? We found that the coach from Oklahoma decided to leave. It was time for him to go and took the job, as I noted, I think I just did, <laughs> at USC. And so when that occurred, everybody and their brother, and I, and I should mention the fact that we're talking about Lincoln Riley. I failed to do that there just a second ago. But when Lincoln Riley goes to USC, everybody and their brother thought, well, Caleb Williams will go to USC. And as time has gone on, There has been nothing formal with regards to Caleb Williams and USC. USC still pops up when we're talking about where will Caleb Williams end up. USC is still there. But then suddenly, LSU got thrown into the mix. And then suddenly, the Badgers were thrown into the mix. And so last week... I was on the Bart Winkler morning show here in Milwaukee, twelve fifty AM, the fan, usually on their Tuesday mornings at around seven forty, and Bart asked me what my thoughts were with regards to Caleb Williams coming to Wisconsin. And I thought you might as well cue queue up, excuse me, uh, Dreamer by Supertramp and play in the background while we're talking. I thought it was really cool that the Badgers were mentioned. But I didn't give any credence to the story. And then 24 hours turned to 48. 48 turned to 72. You get where I'm going with this. And as time keeps marching on, suddenly now reports are that LSU is out of the mix and Caleb Williams is contemplating life between USC and the Wisconsin Badgers. And then after a report last week, now we we kind of knew and hoped that the Badgers were going to go after an offensive coordinator. We see what Jim Leonard does on the defensive side. Paul Christ, who is a bright coach, he really is. But when you're a head coach, you've got a lot of things going on. And as that offense this year got stagnant, we wondered if it was time to make change through addition. Not through subtraction, not firing anybody, but through addition. And knock on wood, we got one right as the Badgers now have hired Bobby Ingram to come in to Madison and be the offensive coordinator. Bobby Ingram, who has spent the last eight years with the Baltimore Ravens as a wide receivers and tight end coach. You might remember Bobby uh, with the Seahawks. Uh, he spent seven seasons there. He was on that team when uh, the Seahawks played the Steelers in Super Bowl Forty. He was with the Bears and the Chiefs, so he's got a ton of NFL experience, but he worked with Paul Chris at the University of Pittsburgh. Now, I want to go through the webbing of this. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel did a really nice job in doing such on their site, part of their newspaper, as I still like to refer to it as, of showing the connection between Bobby Ingram and and Caleb Williams' father, and how they know Paul Crist, and it's six degrees of separation. But anyway, there's a connection there. And the fact that there were others to be thought of as offensive coordinator, the fact that Bobby Ingram comes in, you have to like now the odds that in bringing Bobby in, that the connection still exists between he, then, and Caleb Williams. So Caleb Williams apparently, again, down to two, the Wisconsin Badgers and USC, and supposedly within the next week will make his decision. Now, one shouldn't be too concerned at how long this is taking because if you look back on Caleb Williams' process in picking Oklahoma originally out of high school it was not a rash a rash decision it was not anything quick it appears Caleb Williams his family his team will say they like to spend time and peruse through whatever evidence whatever documentation whatever the thought process is they seem to be rather thorough the fact however though that the badgers are still in the mix has to bode well for Wisconsin. And I said on Bart's show that if Caleb Williams came to Wisconsin, it's the equivalent, in my mind, of Reggie White going to Green Bay. And I'm not talking from a win-loss perspective. I'm just talking about perception. When Reggie White went to Green Bay, it was okay to sign as a free agent in Green Bay. Reggie White kicked down the proverbial doors to change the narrative around the Green Bay Packers. And that one signing has had a lasting effect with Green Bay. If Caleb Williams comes to the Wisconsin Badgers, it has the potential to do the same. Now, that's a lot of weight to put on someone's shoulders. But again, I'm not talking about wins and losses. I'm talking about perception. And if Caleb Williams decides to come to Wisconsin, think about how many high school recruits, and I'll still call them recruits, that those that exist in the transfer portal might suddenly turn their head towards Madison and contemplate whether or not they would like to play for the Badgers, a school maybe they had not thought twice about. So, Again, we'll be on Caleb Williams' watch until we get a decision. On the other side of this break, let's talk about the pro quarterback in our state. Some Aaron Rodgers news right after this. So as we now switch gears a little bit, even still talking about the quarterback position, but we're doing so now at the pro level with the Green Bay Packers and not necessarily with regards to the Wisconsin Badgers. And obviously we all sit here in this state on pins and needles trying to figure out what Aaron Rodgers is going to do next So over the weekend, it was brought up or brought out or reported or whatever the case may be as I'm trying to sit here and spit this one out that Aaron Rodgers told people in confidence, and that's in quotes, that he wants Devontae Adams and Marquise Valdez-Scantling to be with him if he decides to come back to Green Bay. In other words, I need you, Brian Gudekins, to assure me that these two individuals will be in tow if I come back for one more season. The issue at hand, as the issue has been at hand since all of this came to fruition, is the contracts of Aaron Rodgers in this case. What Devontae Adams wants, what a Marti, Martis, Marquise Valdez Scantling would want, what MVS is due. And we're talking right now about three players. What about the other 55? Don't forget, Bakhtiari got a nice contract, and deservedly so. I'm not not ridiculing contracts whatsoever. Get what you can get because life in the NFL, you never know when it's going to end. So I have no issue in getting what you can get. But when you've hit this point like Aaron Rodgers and you're trying to move the chess pieces, so to speak. You have to understand that those chess pieces come with dollar signs, and those dollar signs count against a salary cap. And that's a big ask if you're not going to renegotiate yours. So if Rodgers is expecting to get that 40-plus million that he is contracted for for the upcoming season, if a Devontae Adams who reportedly is looking for $30 million a year, gets it. The amount of room you have left under the salary cap is extremely minimal. Now, could the Packers slap the franchise tag on Devontae Adams? Yes. It would be less than the $30 million a year. I don't know how happy Devontae would be because he'd be missing out on millions of dollars in signing bonuses and base salary and all of those other fun things. But if we're going to try and keep the three together, then I would also say, since Aaron Rodgers wants to have more say and be a bigger part, I would say, Aaron, listen, then I need you to come in and sit down and talk to Devontae and talk to these guys, and let's sit and figure out how we're going to make this work from a salary cap perspective because that's what the bottom line is. Aaron Rodgers didn't really show any deterioration from a playing perspective. Yeah, they came up short against the 49ers, but we can put some of that on special teams even though the offense really grinded to a halt after that first drive. But throughout the year, with the exception of the very first game against New Orleans, Aaron Rodgers looked great. So it's not a skill depletion here that we're talking about. It's not the Ben Roethlisberger situation in Pittsburgh where you're trying to figure out, hey, I'm paying this guy a gazillion dollars and he can't throw the ball really past 15 or 20 yards because he's been in the league so long and been banged up so much. Aaron Rodgers still looks like he's got a few years left in him if he wants to play. But now you have to equate how long will he play with the Packers. If he decides that he'll renegotiate for next year but not add years onto his contract, well, then you run the risk of him having the so-called last dance that everybody anticipated this year might be. And then he plays at a reduced price so that Devontae and MVS can play, among some others. But then after next year, you lose him. Into free agency, and you don't get anything in return. So, I, I think the web behind the scenes is much more intricate than what many people I'll say realize. I think they realize it, but I think you get caught up in the passion of being a fan, and some of that stuff gets put on the back burner when actually this is the time in which it should be on the front burner because we're not playing in the Super Bowl, so now we got to look at the business aspect of it. So again, much like Caleb Williams on the college side, we're keeping an eye on Aaron Rodgers and trying to figure out what his next step is going to be because once he decides what his next step is, then really the Packers can sit down and maneuver whether or not it's a trade, whether or not they're dealing with their future Hall of Fame quarterback who's going to step down and retire, or whether or not he's going to be under center again for another year. So we'll keep that all in mind. And the debate, obviously, will continue as this thing keeps moving forward. We're going to take another quick break. And on the other side, we're going to talk some college basketball. But not only are we going to talk college basketball, we're going to weave the Bucks in there as well. So let's just say we'll talk basketball to close out this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. And we'll get to that in just a sec. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well. last segment here of this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. I think the voice is holding on here. Uh, one of the reasons why we've been off for a little bit of time. Uh, let's talk some basketball and let's start at the collegiate level, kind of transition into the NBA with the Milwaukee Bucks as we close things out. But before we do that, I want to remind you to please hit the like button, the subscribe button, throw some comments. Uh, with regards to the podcast, would love to hear the feedback. Um, very grateful for those who log on and listen uh, and want to make it as interactive as possible. So if you've got any suggestions, comments, uh, please, by all means, feel free to do so. So let's start with Marquette. Marquette on Sunday lost to Providence 65-63. to That ended their seven-game Winning streak, and it's in the midst of one of the tougher parts of their schedule. And it all started with Providence. They beat Providence at home, and quite honestly, they had Providence on the ropes. Give Providence credit. Providence ranked in the top 25, found a way back, and for once within this stretch of games this eight-game stretch now. The Golden Eagles couldn't figure out how to withstand the switch in momentum. When Seton Hall, Xavier, Villanova, when you saw that momentum begin to switch in those games, Marquette found a way to hold it off to maintain momentum, so to speak, and come away with the victories. Yesterday, or yesterday, Sunday, excuse me, Providence found a way to wrestle it away, and beat, obviously, then Marquette 65-63. Now, I thought there were going to be other games much like the one against Providence. Seton Hall, Villanova, Xavier, those were games that I didn't know whether or not Marquette could figure out a way to win. And if they lost, like what we saw against Providence, by two, that was almost like a moral victory, so to speak. But the fact that they've been able to beat those teams in the midst of this stretch, now they've got Villanova at home. Why are we playing Villanova at home at 9 o'clock at night? I didn't know as old people got to be in bed before that time. But it's a 9 o'clock tip at the Fiserv Forum on Wednesday night. That'll be a tough one. Obviously, Villanova ranked 12 in the country coming into Fiserv. Now, we've beaten Villanova on their court. It'll be interesting to see what we can do there. Then they've got to go on the road. You get almost a week off. They've got to play at UConn. UConn playing very good basketball again after coming back into the Big East. Then they run this stretch of Butler, Georgetown, Creighton, Butler, DePaul, St. John's. St. John's is at home, thank goodness, because St. John's on the road for whatever reason just seems to provide fits for the Marquette Golden Eagles, but they've got some games down the stretch that they have the ability to win. And I would argue at this point that the Marquette Golden Eagles have done enough to get an at-large bid into the tournament once March rolls around, and I think now it's safe to say that we're talking about seeding and not whether or not they're going to get in. And prior to the college basketball season, I think there are a lot of people out there who were thinking, you know what, maybe this year it's all about at least let's get to the NIT, give the guys and Shaka Smart some time to gel, continue to move this this transition forward. I don't think anybody suspected how quickly this transition has occurred and how well this team has played. Justin Lewis is coming into his own. It's crazy to think that if Justin Lewis keeps playing the way he's been playing as of late in this seven-game window, eight-game window now that we've been talking about, he has a legitimate shot of being thrown into the mix for Big E's Player of the Year. And then you go 60 miles west of Milwaukee to Madison, and you look at a Badger team right now that's 17-3 and overall, 8-2 and in the conference, Jonathan Davis being talked about not only as Big Ten player of the year, but potentially college basketball player of the year. And the Badgers win by six at home on Sunday against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And Jonathan Davis, who was kind of from an offensive standpoint held in check, really showed out down the stretch, gets the last six points of the game and helps – The Badgers secure the victory over the Golden Gophers, and now the Badgers on Wednesday will head to Champaign, Illinois to take on number 18, Illinois. And Illinois is one of those teams that, due to injury and due to um, COVID health and safety protocols, at times has had key members of their team not available to play. When that team is healthy and together, they are probably one of the most dominant teams in all of college basketball. When you say that and then you look at the fact that they're ranked 18th in the country, I'm telling you right now, Illinois is a sleeper. And again, many of their losses stem from key members of that team either being injured or not being available due to health and safety protocols. Keep an eye on Illinois. That will be a tough get for the Wisconsin Badgers on Wednesday, not only because it's Illinois, but because it's on the road. If that game were in Madison, I might have a little different take on it. But my radar, my radar, as far as worry is up when it comes for the Badgers playing against the Fighting Illini on Wednesday. Let's close things out and talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. A lot of people really, really now angst when it comes to the Milwaukee Bucks after they lost to the Denver Nuggets on Sunday and got throttled by the Denver Nuggets on Sunday and wondering what is wrong with this team. Well, I'll say it this way. Much like I was just talking about the fighting alina I think you could talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Think of how many times this season... Drew, Chris, and Giannis have been on the floor together in in the entirety of the season as it stands to this point. It has not been. I, I don't have the percentage in front of me, but I think one could argue maybe 50%, and you're still 10 games over five hundred. This has been about managing workload with a champion MVP in Giannis who people forget, had a pretty significant knee injury towards the end of the season. We're talking about Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, who a couple of days after winning the NBA championship got on a plane, flew overseas, and helped represent the United States and win a gold medal in the Olympics. There is some wear and tear on these athletes, and I think the Bucks have tried really hard this year to manage their workload. That's the way I'll phrase it. And so now we're heading down the stretch. I would watch once I will say the end of February, early March comes about, when you start making that final push towards the playoffs, watch the positioning of the Bucks. And secondly, after all of that, watch what the Bucks do at the center position. I know basketball at the NBA level now is considered positionless. We have five guys on the floor, my goodness. When you've got somebody like Giannis, who's essentially seven foot, who can act as a point guard, do you understand why things are positionless when it comes to basketball at the NBA at at this current slate of of how the game is played there? But the one thing the Bucks had in that championship run was Lopez in the middle. Brooke Lopez in the middle. Covering up some of the defensive discrepancies that occurred and was able to own the boards at times and was able to alter shots. And, yeah, there were times when he became a liability. But more times than not, he was a factor when it came to the Bucks' success. And without that presence in the middle, it's been a little bit more challenging than I think people thought. And finding out whether or not Lopez will able to be able to excuse me, come back and play after his back surgery, which many people hope. But if that's the case, it's not gonna happen till right around the playoffs. So how many minutes is he actually gonna get? How effective will he actually be? I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the Bucks do before the trade deadline hits. It's a shame because of salary cap implications and luxury tax um, fines. That's, I think that's the best way to phrase it because if you go over um, the salary cap, you pay a luxury tax, a fine, and the Bucks are over. And that's the reason why they couldn't hold on to Boogie Cousins. I think Boogie Cousins would have been exactly that. Yes, defensively, there were some gaps. But I think as he would have played more and more and more with this Bucks team, I think those gaps could have been fixed. And I think Boogie Cousins not being able to sustain with Milwaukee because of salary cap reasons is going to be one of the great disappointments as this team moves forward. Now, there's still time. There are still people out there, and there is still hope that they will find somebody to man the middle down the stretch, and that's one of the things this team is going to need if they're going to have a chance to repeat. There's enough talent on this team to repeat, but we saw with the NFL how one play could alter the livelihood for the rest of the team. You miss one particular component of your championship run from last year and that's the person in the middle that could play some huge dividend coming down the stretch. So we'll have to wait and see how the Bucks handle that. All right, let's get up out of here. Thank you so much again for putting up with us and joining us on the 414 Sports Podcast. Again, please like, please subscribe, please leave some comments, whatever the case may be. We'd love to hear from you. Until later in the week, I'm Don Wachillis. Have yourself a great start to a new month.